Hope you're doing awesome this morning. Luke chapter one is where we're gonna be as we find ourselves on this third Sunday of Advent. And I don't know what your, your journey with Advent is. Maybe you grew up celebrating Advent or uh, maybe you're kind of new to this, but this, this word Advent, it literally just means arrival or, or the arrival or the coming. And it's the celebration that followers of Jesus for centuries all across the world have entered into during the month of December. It's the celebration of the reality that Jesus arrived in the world 2,000 years ago as a baby, born of a virgin named Mary. He came into the world 2,000 years ago, lived a sinless life, uh, died a sinner's death, was raised on the third day. And so Advent is this celebration of his first arrival, but it's also this anticipation of his second arrival, this reality that followers of Jesus are holding on to that not only did God come into the world once, but he's gonna come again. And so Advent is this season where we stop in the month of December with Christians all across the world and we recalibrate our hearts around this reality that we are a people in waiting, that we are we are waiting in between promises that have been fulfilled and promises that are yet to be kept. And what does it look like to live with hope? in the middle of that. And this morning, we're gonna wrestle with those implications from Luke chapter one. So if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at stories from the first advent, the stories of the Magi arriving, the stories of Anna and Simeon um, experiencing Jesus in the temple when he's a newborn baby. And we've been looking at those stories from the ad, first advent to ask the Spirit of God to help us be a people who prepare well for the second advent, the second arrival, the second coming of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to do that from one of my favorite stories in Luke chapter 1. You know, as I was reflecting on this story this week, I, I was reminded of a moment, uh, one of my favorite memories that took place uh, 11 years ago in the month of October. It was a Saturday afternoon at the time. Sydney and I didn't have any kids. We were, were living in a small little house on the corner of Belmont and Shackelford Road across the street from the Lipscomb University soccer field. So any of you that are local, maybe you can kind of picture that part of town. Maybe you can picture where we lived. But it was a Saturday afternoon, and I remember it so vividly. Uh, that day was a little bit cooler than it typically is in October in Nashville. It was kind of cloudy and overcast. And uh, at that point in my life, I didn't have a whole lot of responsibility, especially on the weekends, and so I would just binge watch college football, just kind of laze around. And I remember I was sitting on my couch that day, and Sydney comes in, she'd been out running errands, and she comes in with a present. She comes in with this, this gift bag, and this was a bit unusual. Um, first, because Sydney and I aren't really gift givers, that's not our love language, so she comes in in the middle of October with a gift bag, and I'm going, wait, did I miss something? I knew it wasn't our anniversary. You know, I knew I hadn't missed anything big that I could think of, but my mind's just racing, and she sits down, and she was so clearly just eager and excited to give me this gift. And so she gives me this gift bag, and I begin to open it up, and inside this gift bag is this small little baseball glove. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where somebody gives you a gift, and on the outside, you're trying to show appreciation and gratitude and excitement. And then on the inside, you're going, wait, what is this? Why do I, Why am I getting this? That's how I felt at, at our wedding shower. You know, every gift, I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, and I, I didn't know what it was and who it was from. And, and I felt that I'm opening, there's this little baseball glove and I'm having all of these thoughts race through my mind. Number one, um, why did she give me a baseball glove? You know, um, when I was a kid, I loved baseball, played baseball, but now I'm a grown man and I don't play baseball. So why is she giving me a baseball glove? Maybe she wanted me to try out, you know, for the majors or something. I'm not sure why she's giving me a baseball glove. Secondly, not only was I confused about the gift itself, I was confused about the size of the gift because it was not just a baseball glove, but it was a really tiny baseball glove. And so here I am holding this, I'm thinking, maybe she thinks my hands are small. I don't know, like, is this an insult? Yes, I'm holding this tiny little glove and I'm trying to be excited. I'm like, thanks, babe, this is awesome and can't wait to use it. And, 
And, and she could tell that I had no clue, like, why she had given it. And I'll never forget this moment. She said, hey, I know you don't need a baseball glove. And, you know, I know you don't really play baseball anymore, but in nine months, we're going to have our first kid. And at some point, that kid's probably going to want you to teach it how to throw a baseball. And all of a sudden, I realized, this is why I'm getting the gift. Like, you know, Sid's pregnant. And I remember just the, the rush of emotion that kind of came over. It's just joy, excitement, surprise, then sheer terror. I'm like, I can't be a, like, how am I going to be a father? You know, I'm, I'm not qualified for this. And all of these emotions just came flooding in to our house that day. And I remember this so clearly, just recognizing uh, even though I didn't understand everything that had just happened, I remember in the moment recognizing that this news was going to fundamentally change everything about the rest of our lives moving forward. I didn't know how it was going to change everything, but I knew that this news that we were getting ready to welcome a kid into the world was fundamentally going to shift the way we thought about everything. And I remember Sid getting up from the couch and all of a sudden me just realizing like, man, everything is shifted. And I kept thinking about that this week as I was reflecting on this moment from Luke chapter 1 where, where Mary, this teenage woman who's engaged to be married to this guy named Joseph, all of a sudden she, she finds herself receiving this news, news that she wasn't expecting, um, news that certainly in some level she didn't want, um, news that she probably didn't even know what to do with it. And I just try to imagine what it would have been like to have been Mary and to have had God to just like uh, literally insert himself into your world, to enter into your world and say, hey, Here's some news, and this news is going to change absolutely everything. And this morning, I just want to look at this story from Luke chapter 1, this moment where the angel uh, proverbially sits down on the couch with Mary and says, hey, I've got to tell you something. And I want us to wrestle with the implications of how her response should impact the way that we anticipate uh, the second coming of Jesus, the second advent. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. A little bit of backstory as, as we jump into this. You know, several months before this moment of an angel appearing to Mary, um, an angel appears to Zachariah and Elizabeth and says, hey, I know you've been un unable to have children, um, but with the help of God, you guys are going to have a child, and he's going to pave the way for the Messiah. He's going to set the stage. So if you've been following along in the story through Luke, you go, man, God is getting ready to break in in a new way. He's getting ready to come into the story in a new way. And we're going to pick up like this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. But just try to picture this. I mean, she's just minding her business. And God, he breaks in with this just crazy big news. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There is so much there to unpack that we'll have to talk about in another time. But just this huge declaration. And I love her response in verse 34. She goes, how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? Now, I know we have a lot of kids watching, so I'm not going to explain the mechanics of this, but Mary had finished eighth grade biology class, and she's like, hey, I haven't been involved in any of the activity that would lead to pregnancy. I mean, she's confused. She's going, how could this possibly be? And I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm just going, take this moment for what it is. She's shocked. Mm -hmm. 
She's surprised. She doesn't know what to do with the news that has just been given. Verse 35, the angel said, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month of pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. I love that. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary responded. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God out of Luke chapter one. Do you want you to imagine this scenario for a moment? You know, Mary's just sitting there. Maybe it's a Saturday afternoon in October. We don't know. She's sitting there just minding her own business. And an angel shows up. And I want you to just picture this for a moment. Not only is it a terrifying message that she's about to receive, she receives a terrifying messenger. You know, I don't know what you picture when you picture an angel. Maybe you picture the guy from It's a Wonderful Life, you know, this kind of feeble, old, kind of goofy angel like Clarence. Maybe, maybe you picture an angel from a cartoon. But when you read the scriptures, an angel, like although it was a good thing to receive a message from an angel, man, it was a terrifying reality to receive a message from an angel. One of my favorite moments in the book of Daniel, Daniel, this like mighty man of God, who stood bravely in the face of lions in the lion's den. When an angel shows up to him in Daniel chapter 10, he falls on his face and passes out. Just this, he sees an angel. It's the reason when angels would show up in the scriptures, typically their first words were, hey, don't be, don't be afraid, why? Because if a fiery, angelic, supernatural beast of heavenly light showed up in your life, you'd be scared to death. And if you just want to know like what kind of woman Mary was, I mean, what, just what an incredible woman she was, an angel shows up and she doesn't pass out. But she is timid. She is scared. She doesn't know what to do with it. She's like, what's going on? And so this terrifying messenger shows up. But it's not just a terrifying messenger. He comes with a terrifying message. He says, he says Mary, you're pregnant. Now, for any unmarried woman, this can be a, a scary announcement. But 2,000 years ago for an unmarried woman, this could be your death sentence. An unmarried woman in the days that Mary received this, she could have been killed for this. At the least, she would have been exiled from her people, from her family, from her community. I mean, it would have been a terrible thing. So it's a, it's a terrifying message to receive. But the angel goes one step further. He says, not, you're not just pregnant. He says, you're pregnant, and no one is really gonna believe <laughs> the source of this pregnancy. He says, because you're carrying God's son. This is a supernatural. I, I, I know you've probably heard this story. Even those of you that didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard this story. And I think our tendency sometimes when we hear a familiar story is to divorce ourselves from the weight of what she would have experienced. But I just want you to picture yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine all the things that would have gone through her mind. All the fear, all the confusion, all the joy that, that God, I mean, out of all of humanity, God looked down and said, Mary, you're the one. I mean, think about that. Like all of these competing emotions, all of these questions, all of these things. And as we look at the story in Luke chapter one, there's all these things we could explore. And I wish we had time to explore all of them. We could look at the heart of God that's revealed in this birth announcement. We could look at God's heart for redemption of humanity. I mean, it's amazing that God sends an angel not to pronounce a word of judgment over humanity, but to pronounce a word of redemption. You know, we could look at God's heart that's revealed in the birth announcement. We could look at God's heart in the way that he, in his perfect timing, comes to Mary and says, hey, now's the moment. Now's the time for God to break into the world. We could look at the heart of God in the birth announcement here. Well, we could look at the, the reality of humanity in this birth announcement. You know, I love what Matthew says about this moment. 
the angel shows up to Mary and says, hey, you're going to call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save humanity from their sins. We could, we could spend this whole morning just reflecting on the reality that the angel showed up and he spoke so clearly what all of us know. He says, humanity doesn't need a life coach or a counselor or a good buddy to cheer you on through hard times. Humanity needs a savior. And we could spend this whole morning just exploring what does this reveal to us about the nature of God? What does this reveal to us about the nature of humanity? But for the sake of time, I want us to just look at Mary's response and ask the question, what does the response of this young unmarried woman teach us about how we as ordinary sinful people have been invited to respond to the announcement that God is coming? Like, what is it about her story that teaches us, like, what it looks like to prepare for the moment of when God is going to arrive? I mean, can you just imagine if you're in Mary's shoes and an angel showed up and said, you have nine months until you see the face of God. Just, just imagine that. Like, if you knew, like, this morning, just put yourself in her shoes. Like, you have nine months, nine months until you can see the face of the one that spoke you into existence. Nine months until you look into the eyes of the one that will announce your final judgment. Nine months until you look in the eyes of the one that holds the, the universe in his hands. The one that parted the Red Sea. The one that brings down nations and rises up nations. Nine months until you see him face to face. How would you prepare for that reality? I want you to just picture this. We can have some fun with this this morning. It's the week of joy, so we can, we, can, we can have fun, but I want you to picture how you would begin to prepare if you knew that was the reality that was coming. You know, Mary, she called Joseph immediately. She's like, Joseph, I just got some big news. <laughs> uh, like, I'm pregnant with God's son, and we got to get some things in order. She's like, Joseph, you got to quit smoking, man. Like, you know, smoke it and you can't start vaping because that's just weird. Like, you know, you got you to lay some old habits aside. Or uh, before you send me an email, I don't think Joseph was a smoker. I'm just trying to imagine, like, if you knew you were going to be God's parents. Don't you know there's some habits you would just start getting out of your life immediately if you knew you'd been tasked with raising God? Like, don't you know Mary's like, hey, we got to get that kitchen sink fixed because I'm not raising the Son of God in a house with no uh, working kitchen sink. Or don't you know they got one of those stickers for the donkey, you know, baby on board. Or just all of the conversations they would have had. Just, just put yourself in their shoes. Mary's like, hey, we got to start having quiet time every morning because God's going to be in this house. we got to read the Torah, not three days a week, not five days a week, seven days a week, you know. I would have loved to have just sat in and listened to their conversation about discipline. Like, hey, should we spank or not spank? Will we discipline him or will he discipline us? I mean, these are <laughs> questions. Don't you know they had? Like, where they're wrestling with the implications. And I know sometimes when we read the story of Scripture, it's so easy to read it at, read it at arm's length and not wrestle with this. But how would you prepare? How would you prepare if you knew that in nine months you were going to see the face of God? If you're gonna hold him in your arms, if you're gonna watch him take his first steps, if you're gonna watch him live flawlessly on behalf of humanity and then die mercilessly on behalf of humanity, how would you prepare for the news that had just been given? See, Mary knew that this news was gonna change everything. And I want you to just, just think about this. I remember when Sid came in and she told me, she said, hey, we're gonna have a, a kid. and that news, uh, my mind didn't even know how to get around it. 
And it's so fun. Sydney and I love to sit down with new parents now or people that are about to come parents and just talk about that moment because the truth was when Sid shared that news with me, um, we did not know how to prepare. We did not know how to prepare for the reality of this new phase that we're getting ready to enter into as, as parents. And so I look back on that season, those nine months that we had to get ready for the birth of our firstborn son, Micah, and we laugh now in hindsight because the reality is Sydney and I, we had received some news that would change everything, but we did not prepare as though that news was true. And so some of you that have been friends with us for a long time, you may have remembered this season. We didn't find out if we were having a boy or a girl. We didn't pick a name. We literally did not start working on the nursery till after we had already brought him home from the hospital. We didn't read any books. I don't know if this was youthful ignorance. I don't know if this was pride or stubbornness. I don't know if we were living in denial or some version of all of it, but we received this news that a baby was coming and we did virtually nothing to get ready for that reality. I remember the day that Micah was born. He was supposed to be born on July 4th. So we're coming toward the end of June and in our minds we thought, hey, his due date's July 4th. That's when he's going to come. I mean, that's what the doctors told us, you know. And so the day that he was born, the day that he was born, Sydney was teaching an intensive graduate course at the university. She's on her feet um, all day, six hours a day teaching. Uh, I was speaking at a high school youth camp, like a summer camp. And so uh, I remember the day that Micah was born, I had spoken that night at this youth camp. And then after I got done speaking, this was how um, unhurried I was. After I got done speaking, I hung around with the counselors at the church camp for three hours and played cornhole till two in the morning. I kid you not, I remember getting back to the house, crawling in bed at two in the morning. And two hours later, Sid wakes me up to say, hey, my water just broke and we're going to the hospital. And I'm like, we're supposed to have 10 more days. <laughs> I remember I was going to the hospital and Sydney is sitting in the bed with contractions trying to upload her final, like for the class that she'd been teaching. That's how unprepared we were when we had this news. For nine months, hey, some, someone's coming. Something's gonna change. And for nine months, we lived as though nothing was going to change. I go, can you imagine? Can you imagine? what it would have been like, how foolish it would have been if God came to Mary and said, hey, Mary, you're getting ready to see the face of God. You're getting ready to welcome the Son of God, not just into your womb, but into the world. You have been chosen to carry this gift of grace on behalf of all humanity. Can you imagine how foolish it would have been if Mary would have received that announcement from the angels and then went about living her life as usual? She would have been so foolish. And we don't know exactly how Mary prepared, but would you look at her words where she says, how, how is this to be? Like, how is this gonna come about? The angel says, hey, listen, it's gonna start with God doing something that you can never do for yourself. The Spirit of God is gonna come upon your life. And then Mary responds to that gift of grace by saying, okay, may it be so, whatever needs to happen. And she begins to live as though that reality were true right then, as though in nine months she was gonna see the face of God. Guys, as I think about what it means to be the people of Advent, people living in between the two arrivals, I can't help but, but look at the way that Mary and Joseph received the first announcement and wonder why it is that we as the people of God struggle to live with that same sense of anticipation years later as we await on the, the fulfillment of the second announcement. You know, at, at the birth of Jesus, you know, Jesus' earthly life was bookended by two angelic appearances. You know, the first is the angels coming to say, hey, he's coming into the world. He's going to be born. 
But if you remember the way that Jesus' life plays out after he lived for 30 plus years on the earth, a sinless life, and dies a sinner's death, and is raised on the third day in victory, after Jesus' resurrection, he spends 40 days teaching his disciples about the coming kingdom of God. And there's this moment in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus physically, after being raised from the dead, physically returns to heaven. And the disciples, maybe you remember this moment, they are literally looking up in, in the sky like, wait, what, what just happened? I mean, just that's another sermon for another day. But just imagine they're looking going, wait, what has happened? And just like angels announced his first arrival, angels appear at that moment in Acts chapter 1, verse 11 to announce his second arrival. And they say, hey, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has departed this way is going to come again. And guys, that was the moment when humanity was put on notice that God was going to enter into the world again. And like Mary and Joseph, we have to decide, how do we respond to the news that's been given? Do we prepare <laughs> Do we get ready? Do we live our lives in anticipation of that? Or do we live like Sydney and I did as we were awaiting our firstborn son, just kind of going about our business? Like, what does it look like to be a people in waiting with this reality that God is coming, that God is coming, and that what was started in his first arrival will be completed in his second arrival? Guys, it's important for us to understand that to be a part of the church, it doesn't mean that we just gather week in and week out and nostalgically reflect on what life used to be like when God was here. Right. Now, to understand that we're, we're a people of promise, <laughs> a people that are promised, that are living into the promise, waiting for the arrival of that promise. But this next time when Jesus comes, he's not going to come as a baby, he's going to come as a conquering, victorious, righteous king and judge. And although his first arrival came in obscurity, his second ar arrival will not be missed. In fact, the scriptures say that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him will look upon him. Yeah. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess as King Jesus arrives a second time. And so guys, this, this Christmas season, this Advent season that we're in, I'm just telling you, it is not just about warm nostalgia. It's not just about coming together and feeling good and going, hey, remember what happened? It's about looking at the reality of what Christ did in his first coming and saying, hey, would you prepare us for the second? And I'm just telling you, we would be fools. We'd be fools to know what we know and to live as though nothing is going to change. Guys, I, I don't know how everything in history is going to work itself out. This morning as I was praying, I was like, Lord, would you let me preach like a man from the future? <laughs> mm. Would you let me stand in the presence with the confidence of the future? And as I was reflecting on that, I went, there's a lot of things we don't know about the future. But what I do know is that every single one of you will have a moment where your eyes are fixed upon the face of Jesus. Yeah. For some of you, you're going to die physically. And after your physical death, there will be a moment when your eyes will open and they will be beholding the face of God. And guys, it's a sobering moment to think about, man, you're going to behold the face of God after your death. And I'm just telling you, in that moment, your first thought is not going to be, hey, did I do a good job at work? Or did I save up enough for retirement? Or in that moment, I'm just telling you, you're going to see the face of God and the only thing you're going to be thinking about is, oh my goodness, am I in good standing with this all-powerful, all-righteous being? Mm -hmm.
in that moment, there's gonna be no semblance of, hey, I did enough to make them like me. <laughs> or I kept all the rules just right. I'm telling you, when you look upon his face, it will be, have mercy. <laughs> have mercy. For some of you, it's gonna come after your death. Maybe for some of us, this is what I'm praying for me, my kids, like, man, I'm praying, Jesus, I hope I don't experience death. I hope I see you. I hope my feet are on the earth when you, Jesus, come down from the clouds. Like, I hope. And some of you are going, man, this is crazy. I'm just telling you, it's what I long for. I want to be within the generation that's standing on the earth welcoming Christ back. But I'm telling you, when we say that and when we pray that, you better hope that we have prepared ourselves for that moment, whether we see him face to face after our death or we see him face to face as he's coming on the clouds. I go, how do we prepare for this? How do we, how do we respond to the announcement of the angel, not just to Mary, but to the disciples and actually, how do we respond? I think part of it, we respond by strengthening our relationship with God himself, where we just say, hey God, whether we see you after our death or we see you before we die, whenever it is, I know that I'm gonna see you and I wanna be ready for it. It's kind of that Psalm 139 prayer. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, search me, test me, know me, lead me, Lord. Like if there's anything offensive in me, take it out. Yes. It's kind of that longing. Guys, I just wanna ask you in this Advent season, I don't care about your holiday plans. I don't care where you're traveling. Like, are you in good standing with God? Are you in good standing with God? Outside of Jesus and His grace and His mercy, guys, there is no hope for humanity. And so for some of you, like this morning, like even where you're at in a group of people, it may just be you falling on your knees and crying out loud, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then tell those people in your at-home gathering, hey, I need to be baptized. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. For some of you, you need to make sure you don't get through this Advent season without being made right with Jesus for the first time. For some of you, you made that decision a long time ago, but the reality is the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you fix your eyes on, on secondary things are not working to prepare you for the moment when you'll see Jesus face to face. And I go, man, this is the season. This is why we stop every year in the month of December to go, Lord, strengthen us, remind us that we're living between two arrivals. Help us to prepare for that reality. God, strengthen our relationship with you. But it's not just about strengthening our relationship with, with God, it's about strengthening our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Strengthening our relationship with one another. If you keep reading in the story, I love what Mary does right after she gets this news. She goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is older than her, who is farther in this journey than she was, and they began to walk together in it. And guys, as we find ourselves living between the two arrivals, as we find ourselves saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. For those of you that are younger, I wanna encourage you in this Advent season, find someone that's further along on the journey, someone older than you, whether biologically or in the faith, and to say, hey, can you help me live a life that is prepared for the one that's coming? And for those of you that are older, find somebody younger. Say, let's walk this out together. Let's do life and community together. Let's live as though we are the people of the promise in between the first coming and the second coming, knowing that Jesus will finish what he started. Guys, the season of Advent, it's not just warm nostalgia. It's how do we strengthen our relationship with God? How do we strengthen our relationship with each other? And then how do we strengthen our commitment to the mission that Jesus has given us? 
Guys, if this message is true, and I'm just telling you, by faith, I believe it is more true than I know how to articulate. I believe you will see the face of God one day. And there's nothing I long for more than you being ready for that moment in the grace of Jesus and the context of community. And if that message is true, guys, we would be idiots not to share it with everybody on the planet. We'd be idiots. Like, who's that person that you love that you've never had the courage to share the gospel with? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a sibling. Who's that person you're gonna see over the holidays? that needs to know that we don't gather in this season just around a tree that's been lit with presents, but we gather around a cross that was stuck in the ground of Calvary that held the Savior of the world. That this season isn't just about His death and it's not just about His resurrection, it's about His conquering, victorious return. Who do you need to share that with? Who's the one person? Who's the one person you need to sit down and to just share the hope of Advent with? the joy of Advent with, the love and the peace of Advent with this season. See, the angel has come, and just like he did with Mary, he said, he's gonna, he's coming. He's coming back. And now you get the choice. Will you live your life in the reality of that truth? And one of my favorite scriptures is towards the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse seven. And Revelation 19 is describing the, the way that the church will be postured in the day that Jesus physically returns to the earth. And I love Revelation 19, verse 7. The metaphor that's used to describe the church in Revelation 19 is the metaphor of a bride. And Jesus is the groom. It's this beautiful, like, wedding day image. And Revelation 19, verse 7 says, the bride has made herself ready. I go, guys, what's, what's the picture of the church at the end of the age. Like, what is Advent supposed to stir up in us? What is Advent supposed to cultivate in our heart and our spirit? It's supposed to cultivate a heart that longs to get ready in light of the news we've already received. And so it's not just a month to look back. Like, oh man, it's so cool what God did. It's a month to look back and go, man, that really happened. And because that's really happened, we're gonna prepare and we're gonna look forward. And my question is, are you getting ready? Are you strengthening your relationship with God? Are you strengthening your relationship with other believers? Are you strengthening your commitment to the mission of God? Because if we haven't, then we've missed the point of Advent. And so this morning, as we continue this journey together, we're gonna to respond like Mary in faith to say, hey Lord, everything you say is true. We believe it. If we, even if we don't understand how it all works, may it be true of us. In faith, we're gonna receive really if we're being honest, the craziness of this declaration, not just that God came into humanity once, but that he's coming again, and that he's gonna fix all that's broken. Guys, if ever there's a season where we needed the hope, hope not found in a politician or an economic system, but hope that is found in Jesus, King Jesus himself, this is the season for it. And so this morning, we're gonna worship, we're gonna receive the truth of this. If you need help to receive the truth of it, say, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And then after just a song or two of worship, of declaration of who God is, we're gonna receive the bread, we're gonna receive the, cup, receive the cup, which is a declaration of what God has done. It's gratitude for what God has done, and it's hope for what he's gonna do. So let me pray over us as we get ready to worship and receive this truth in communion. Father, I love you. I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you for your kindness towards us. I thank you for the fact that when humanity was at our worst, you came closer. You didn't push further away. Man, you're amazing, God. 
In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help every person listening to this live stream today to by faith to receive not just the truth of what happened, but the truth of what is going to happen. And God, would you radically reshape the way we live our lives right here and right now because of it? Would you change the way we spend our time, our money, our money, our energy? God, would you would you steward our imaginations and our hearts? Would you create a longing, a longing in us to be made ready for the moment when we'll see you face to face? Jesus, we thank you for your first arrival. And we say, Lord, come quickly again. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And let's worship together. You can sing these songs out loud. You can reflect on them. You can journal. Let's just begin to ask God to till the soil of our hearts as we prepare for communion together. I love you, Ethos. Happy Advent.